Today's episode is a little bit different. It's not about a murder or missing person. It's a case that I found was pretty interesting, and I hope you do too. Especially how it ends. I'm your host, Koi, and this is the story of the Dunbar Armored Robbery. Alright, so Takers is one of my all-time favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, it has one of the best casts with Paul Walker, Michael Ely, T.I., Hayden Christensen, Idris Elba, and many other great actors. It's about a group of friends, and they rob banks and armored cars. They're smart with the money that they steal and launder it, but they also have a luxury lifestyle from houses, cars, boats, and even giving money to charity because, I mean, they couldn't make all these people too bad in the movie, right? But in its opening weekend... Of August of 2010, the movie brought in just over $20 million. While this was a work of fiction, 13 years prior, almost to the day, a group of friends committed a robbery where they took $18.9 million in cash, which is the largest amount of cash taken during a robbery in U.S. history. Los Angeles has a lot of nicknames, Hollywood, Tinseltown, City of Dreams, but not all of them are good, such as the bank robbery capital of the world. Between 1985 and 1995, there were approximately 17,106 bank robberies, which came down to approximately one bank robbery every 45 minutes during the business days. To clear one thing up, I know I've been talking a lot about bank robberies, but the Dunbar Armored Facility, it wasn't actually a bank. It was a facility where armored trucks would bring in cash, the money would be counted and distributed to ATMs or other business customers across Los Angeles. On September 13th, 1997, something completely unexpected happened. Around midnight, six men wearing ski masks armed with guns made their way into the facility. The men entered through a side door of the facility, once inside, there were cameras that panned around. The group meticulously made their way through the cameras into the employee break room. Any doors that they came across on their way, well, they had keys or codes to get through the door. Around 12.30 a.m., an armed security guard entered the break room to take his lunch break. As he started eating, the six armed men came out of hiding and quietly put him on the ground at gunpoint. He was tied up, placed in the side office. A few minutes later, the other security guard entered the room and was met with the same fate. With both security guards taken care of, one guy stayed with the guards and the rest of the group made their way to the vault. The vault was open as employees inside were moving and sorting money for the delivery routes. The men entered the room and gave commands to the employees to lie down. The group of men were wearing ski masks, but it was clear that they were talking to each other through earpieces that were under their mask. They never called each other by their name, only by numbers that they had assigned each other. One man appeared to be in charge. While he was inside the vault, he directed the others on exactly which bags of money to take. 
A van was backed up to an area where the armored trucks would normally drop off money. The crew then began loading the van with bags of cash. Before they left, there was one more thing they needed to take care of. The cameras. The crew located the recorders and took the VCR tapes and the actual recorder. There were two VCRs that were kept separately. One was clearly hidden in a supervisor's office. The crew knew exactly where it was in the office and took it. They then disappeared into the night. In under 30 minutes, this group pulled off one of the largest cash heists in American history, taking $18.9 million. The FBI, they were very quickly involved. Without the video footage, the only evidence that was found in the facility was a broken plastic piece of a taillight which belonged to a U-Haul truck. Alright, now the worst armchair detective in the world could see that this seemed to be an inside job. They had keys, codes to get into the door, they knew where the camera systems worked, they knew where they were panning, they knew how many guards, that the vault would be open at the time, which bags to take, and where the VCRs were that held the security footage, including the hidden one. Every employee and recent employee was interviewed, but one stood out more than the others. Alan Pace III. Alan was the safety inspector for Dunbar Armored, so he would have a lot of knowledge on how the company runs. When things like the vault would be opened, how the cameras worked, where the VCRs would be located. Oh, and Alan was fired the day before the robbery on September 12th when he was caught messing around with a truck, but this appeared to be more of a prank than actually like sabotaging the truck or anything. But this could not really be that easy for the FBI, right? The guy robs the place the day after getting fired, or was it just a coincidence? The FBI began surveillance on Alan immediately. He seemed to be living a normal life, nothing too out of the ordinary. He didn't go on lavish vacations or buy expensive things, like he just came into a lot of money. He didn't have a criminal record, and any people he was seen hanging around, they also didn't have criminal records. The FBI also searched U-Haul rentals for Alan's name, but found that there were no rentals. Alan also had a very good alibi. He was at a house party in his neighborhood, where people placed him being there well before the robbery and even hours after the robbery. The FBI, they really didn't have a whole lot on Alan. With $18.9 million missing, several years would pass, and one mistake would lead them to a suspect. Alright, I promise this ad break won't be too long, and you can get right back to listening to this episode, but I just wanted to take a minute to let you all know that I have a Patreon now, and for just a few bucks a month, you can help support this show, get extra episodes, and a few other perks with more on the way, and I just really greatly appreciate all the support, whether it's Patreon, leaving ratings, reviews, liking the Instagram, Facebook page or just listening to this. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you all so much. And I don't think that was too long of an ad. Back to the episode. All right, we're going to fast forward to 1999, two years after the robbery. A man named Eugene Hill Jr. was purchasing a house in Los Angeles, California. 
Eugene had become a bit of a real estate investor over the last two years, and this was not the first house he had bought. Eugene had a realtor friend that he had been working with. He gave the friend $100,000 in cash to purchase a property, but he made a mistake. He forgot to remove the cash strap around the money. The realtor thought this was odd and he took the money to the police. There were dates on the cash straps and the FBI determined that this money was taken from the Dunbar robbery. The FBI then began watching Eugene. After further research into him, they found that he rented a 14-foot-long U-Haul the day of the robbery. They began getting his phone records, his bank accounts. FBI agents then arrested him and offered him a deal, and he immediately began cooperating. Eugene identified everyone involved. They were all childhood friends. Eric Boyd, Freddie McCray Jr., Terry Brown, Thomas Johnson, and the mastermind behind the entire thing. Alan Pace III. Alan spent months planning this. He brought together the group of childhood friends that he trusted. None of them had any criminal record and they wouldn't stand out. The goal was for this to be a one-time deal and they would be set for life. And I know I'm not alone. I'm sure everyone has had that thought. Just one thing that could set everybody for life. While Alan was working there, he spent time taking photos of the guards, the layout. He mapped out the place with exits and entrances. He made extra keys, remembered the codes, but one thing wasn't planned. Getting fired. Once he got the phone call saying that he was fired, he knew that he had to do something. So the group got together and they came up with the alibi of being at the party. They all went to the party, made themselves known, then snuck away. Once the robbery was completed in the short amount of time, they went back to the party and acted like nothing happened. Like they did not just come into $18 million in cash. The next step was to act normal. For six months, the group of friends lived their lives the same way that they did before the robbery. They didn't make one single change. They didn't purchase anything out of the ordinary. They did each take $100,000 in cash the night of the robbery but they were being smart with it, and the rest of the money was stored in a storage locker. After six months, they began laundering the money. They recruited the help of a Los Angeles immigration attorney and his office manager, paying them each a million dollars to help set up front companies and fraudulent tax forms. They also started spending money to invest in real estate around Los Angeles. Allen bought an office and created a company called Extreme Entertainment. At face value, this company rented party equipment such as jet skis and limos, but it was actually set up to be able to pay everyone else a salary with the stolen money. At one point, Allen realized that some of the money they took was sequentially numbered, so he instructed two of the guys to get rid of the money. They first tried to burn some of it, but then they decided to go spend it in Vegas. And it was where they could lose money and potentially make money. They put the cash in a washing machine so that it looked used, and then they hit the casinos. After Eugene confessed and named everyone that was involved, the FBI began making arrests on each person. Allen initially claimed that he was innocent, that he was being set up by everyone else. In April 2001, he was found guilty and sentenced to 24 years in prison. He was released in October of 2020, 
Eric Boyd, who actually did end up having a previous criminal record, I guess Alan just didn't know that, he was sentenced to 17 years. The others were sentenced between 8 to 10 years. In 2020, movie producer Caleb Pinkett, who was the brother of Jada Pinkett Smith, began working on a film covering the Dunbar robbery. In Alyssa Kelly Rose's Medium article, The Dunbar Heist, she states that the Dunbar Heist has gone down in history as being one of the most methodical and brilliant cash robberies ever committed by an American citizen. And it really did seem that way. Especially when you look at the only reason that they got caught was because one of them forgot to remove a strap holding the money together. But with everything else, this is where things get interesting to me. There was $18.9 million stolen. There was $5 million recovered by the FBI, and that was through real estate, cars, and other assets. There were amounts that were recovered in cash, but there is still $10 million unaccounted for. The FBI stated that they believe that the remainder of the $10 million may have been the amount that was destroyed or spent in Las Vegas, but there really isn't a real answer. It may just be possible, with that as genius of a plan that Alan had come up with, that he had a plan in place for if he got caught, and having the money stored away. But of course, that is just a hypothetical opinion. So what do you think? Because this is going to bring us to a conclusion of this episode of Crime Nerds. Thank you for listening. If you could, please give the show a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening to. You can follow on Instagram or Facebook at Crime Nerds Podcast. And have a great day.